I'm going to start by reading from uh, what some people have called the New Testament's wisdom book, which is the book of James. And uh, when I first read that surmise, it seemed to me that, that helps make a lot of sense of James, what he's trying to say. Anyway, James has a lot to say about taming the tongue. That's what we're going to talk about today is words and speech. And uh, sometimes I think I, think, uh, I could be wrong because I haven't taken a survey that we sometimes place the Old Testament, not just wisdom literature, the Old Testament as a whole, kind of in a separate category that doesn't have quite as much contemporary authority as the New Testament and the words of Jesus. So I was, I was glad Jake to hear Jacob preach on the passage from Exodus today. But James uh, definitely has a lot of affinities with wisdom and liter- li- wisdom literature in general and particularly with the power of words and speech. So I'm going to read a portion of chapter 3. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. I'm thinking James doesn't like the tongue. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Um, James has a lot to say in the negative, but you know, I, I, James... The whole book's kind of negative, but in a positive way. Um, and the importance of words and speech, well, we can hardly say enough words and speech about the importance of words and speech. And this is part of uh, who we are as human beings. Language is something that makes us who we are. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Did anybody else need a topical study Three notes for today. Uh, The Lord be with you. Uh, Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, um, part of the reason I'm an Anglican uh, 
well, I was raised Episcopalian, so that, that admittedly had a lot to do with it. And then after 30 so, so years as a Baptist, I decided to come back to the Anglican Church. And a big part of that was the liturgy. And I expect a lot of Anglicans, you know, if they're introspective, probably have a similar attitude. Because uh, the liturgy just seems to have power. It is aesthetically pleasing. It's beautiful. Uh, even in the updated versions, uh, and it seems to convey the power and presence of God uh, through the power of words. So words have power. Uh, they can inform and instruct us, move us to behave or take action in different ways. They can evoke joy or dismay calm or agitate us, and words can even alter social or relational reality. I now pronounce you husband and wife, and things change. You're hired. Congratulations. You're fired. Sorry. Things change. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to have a, a, a discussion right now on the ontological meaning of baptism. But I did want to say mere human words cannot change fundamental ontological reality. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but the best example now is a man can't be a woman just by thinking or saying so. But, but God can and does change reality through his words. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the book of Proverbs, we pick out one book of the Bible. Um, the idea of the power of words is throughout the Bible, but the book of Proverbs emphasizes the power of words for us to do good or to do evil, to heal or to harm, to create or destroy. And again, I'd encourage you, I mean, you don't know if I'm just like putting random numbers up in those parentheses, do you? So you really ought to look it up. I, I tell you I'm not. I do make typos. I think I corrected a couple and made a couple of additions and I put an asterisk. Um, but you know, don't, don't just believe it because you see it on a PowerPoint. Um, I will cite two uh, verses, uh, Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 15.4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Um, and I think if we just sat and thought about that for a while, I'm not going to ask you to to, you know, practice visualization or anything, but just think about how words have affected you. And sometimes calling it a tree of life is very apt, and sometimes words do crush the spirit. Words also affect our perception and understanding of reality, how we see it. I don't know who came up with the phrase, perception is reality. Um, that's kind of one of the things you put in scare quotes. It isn't really reality, but it does sometimes determine for us what we take reality be. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, but it does seem our hour, to cite another wisdom book, but it does seem our, hour is, uh, our era is one of increasing misinformation, disinformation, fake news, and spin. And actually, these words that I just used to describe the era are becoming more and more common words. 
to describe this era and this age. So misinformation, disinformation, fake news and spin, or as we old folks used to call them, lies. So foolish speech and foolish words distort our perception, they foster delusion, and they lead us astray. So Proverbs 26, 18, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. On the other hand, true words and honest speech put us in touch with the real world, with the way things really are. Again, the, the, the liturgy of the, of the Book of Common Prayer, I think, puts you in touch with the real world. I'm convinced of that. The transcendent real world as well. Proverbs 12, 17, a truthful witness gives honest testimony. And I think the Book of Common Prayer gives honest testimony to the reality of God and the transcendent reality that surrounds us at all times. But a false witness tells lies. I can name any number of uh, false doctrines and uh, false cults, but you can fill in the blanks in your own mind. Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness saves lies, but a false witness is deceitful. Proverbs 12.19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment or several weeks or sometimes months or sometimes years, but that is a moment. Eventually, there will be no lying tongues in the kingdom of heaven. So words, of course, have the power to communicate thought. Now, I was thinking when I wrote these words on this page. I, I really was. I was thinking. It wasn't, wasn't just random stuff. And, and I was thinking what I was going to say, and so I wrote it down. I write kind of like I talk. Um, although I use fewer contractions when I write. But I'm communicating thought right now, what I thought I communicated. So this is obvious. Um, when you read a book, somebody thought those words. When you have a conversation, somebody's conveying what they're thinking. Words that communicate knowledge, insight, instruction, and discipline are the medium of wisdom. Um, Sometimes, this is why you have to take Proverbs in context, it's not always true that actions speak louder than words. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes words speak louder than actions. Um, Proverbs 4, 1 and 2. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. In Proverbs chapter 8, Lady Wisdom is speaking in verses 6 through 9, and she says, Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. The personification of wisdom in the book of Proverbs emphasizes this power of speech and words to instruct us in what is true and real and understanding and wisdom and righteousness. Persons, words, and speech have the power to reveal who 
they are, their, their hearts or inner being. Proverbs 16.23, is that one? No, it's up there. If you see an asterisk on the slide, it means there's a correction or an addition. Proverbs 16.23, a wise, man heart, but wise man's words, a wise man's heart, I have a typo here, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. This is true even when the foolish or wicked speak with deceptively charming or flattering words. Um, Proverbs 26, 24 through 25 says, A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him. Uh, It was Shakespeare who said the truth will out, but eventually... Uh, most people can see through charming and deceitful flattery, uh, although sometimes we fall for a lot of things. In Matthew twelve thirty four, Jesus expressed this wisdom when he told the Pharisees, out of the overflow of the ha- heart, the mouth speaks. You, you are going to speak what is in your heart. When someone can rule their own tongue or not, also signifies the kind of person he or she is. Uh, As I read at the beginning in his letter, James, the brother of Jesus, warns at length of the damage an unbridled tongue can do. In James 3.2, which I didn't read, he expresses the gold standard for controlling one's speech. If anyone is never at fault, never, He doesn't put it in italics, but I think if they'd had italics at the time, he would and have underlined it and bolded it. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So there are no perfect men or women. But is it a standard worth striving for? It's when Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's a standard we're striving for, and controlling one's speech is a key characteristic of the wise person, as rash and hasty speech is a characteristic of the foolish person. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. In Proverbs 17, 27, and 28, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. There's a modern update of that. Um, Couldn't pin down who said it. Better to be thought a fool, better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. It wasn't Mark Twain. I think it was Einstein. Um, Proverbs 13.3. I'm, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Okay, memes on the Internet are either attributed to uh, Abraham Lincoln or, or Albert Einstein. If you don't know who it is, just pick one of those. Proverbs 13.3. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I've, 
I track those things. That I, I really don't have too much time on my hands, but I do track down the sources of quotes and means, and they're almost always wrong. Okay, and Abraham Lincoln never said all those things attributed to them, and, and Albert Einstein said some interesting things, but most of them are not on the internet. He who guard, Proverbs 13, 3, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. So we're, we're going to look at the ways that um, someone who speaks rashly comes to ruin. So Proverbs contains an extensive catalog of foolish speech and harmful words that, that you can order online or purchase at the store. Just kidding. There are lies, slander, insults, gossip, quarreling, flattery, and boasting. Lies are knowing willful deception. If you know the truth and you speak what you know not to be the truth about it, you're lying. This is why, I don't know what the age is, the age of accountability, but prior to that, children are making up stories, and sometimes they're convinced that what they're saying is true, even though we know it's not possible. But at some point, they know they are not telling the truth in order to deceive you to gain some advantage. That's the purpose of lies. A liar knows the truth but chooses to represent and distort it for selfish or underhanded motives. Lies cause trouble and encourage evil. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked, Proverbs 29.12. Lies damage people's lives. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the man who gives false testimony against his neighbor, Proverbs 25, 18. Lies destroy also those who spread them. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will perish, Proverbs 19, 19. Um, there's another proverb about that. We all know people who have lied, and somehow they seem to get away with it. But um, the wheels of justice grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. I'm not sure who said that, but it was not Albert Einstein. Um, and it's true. Uh, we'll talk about the fact that sometimes justice isn't always done the way we think it should be when we get to Job and Ecclesiastes. But eventually, he who pours out lies will perish. Because, the next thing, God hates lies and liars. Proverbs, 16, Proverbs 6, 17 and 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And this six things and seven things is a common uh, structure in wisdom literature in the ancient Near East. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Um, I know we're not supposed to say God hate things, but, but no, that is the word of God. And I do think if you're so identified with your sin and sometimes liars are, uh, then it is difficult 
for us anyway, to separate hating the sin from the sinner. It is true that God so loves the world, but he does hate it when we lie. Slander and insults are also in the catalog of foolish words. Am I still on this slide? Yes. Proverbs 10.18, He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. So please double-check your sources and facts before you retweet anything or repost anything. I, I saw a post... Um, I'm not even sure who he is, but he wanted to friend me. He was a friend of a friend of a friend on Facebook. And he posted something, and what he posted was interesting. But again, it was one of those things, it was about lies, uh, where they quoted somebody, and you would think, well, that sounds reasonable, but I tracked it down, and, and it was misquoted. And this person is a former pastor. So he wasn't trying to do it. There wasn't a lie. He wasn't lying. But you need to make sure that you do not spread things around, that you aren't sure of their source or where they came from. Make sure what you spread around is true and beneficial. So slander and insults can be based on lies or rumors that you know or lies or rumors, or by betraying confidences, sharing private information, or simply just not checking your facts. The motivation for such harmful speech is often hatred and jealousy. Uh, You want to do the other person harm, so you spread slander about them. Mockers who slander and insult disrupt a community. I'm not going to say everybody, but I think most of us know that this is the case, and it's sad when it's seen. The remedy is their removal. Um, not necessarily from society as a whole, but at least from that community. Uh, Proverbs 22.10, drive out the mocker and out go strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. It might seem a drastic measure, but um, I think on occasion that might even be the case in a, in a church. Um, wasn't a case of slander, but Paul did... Uh, Enjoin the Corinthians to expel a brother um, until he repented. Uh, it was for sexual sin, not just for slander. But I think there are times when removing a slanderer, maybe even giving him a time out, is the only remedy um, for the problems that it causes. Unfortunately, everybody's favorite foolish speech is gossip. Um, Gosh, you, you really just got to say no. They, they are like Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, I had, well, I don't know. Were those Krispy Kreme? No, they weren't, but they were really good. First donut I'd had in quite a while. Um, uh, and just, just like gossip, uh, it goes down into, they are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost part. So gossip is like Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, this is the, the new the new living paraphrased kind of Bible. Proverbs 18.8 really says, the words of a gossip are like choice morals. They go down to a man's inmost parts. A gossip is tempting and pervasive. So if you say you haven't gossiped, well, maybe not this week. 
but last week, or, or we listen to it. It's extremely difficult. It is like a background virus, and they can seem as pleasing as words of wisdom. But they're definitely different, and we can tell the difference, and it is something we need to pay attention for and neither engage in it or practice it. So though they may sound as pleasing as words of wisdom and though they may be as tasty as Krispy Kreme donuts, it leads to dissension, division, and quarrels. Uh, Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 26, 20, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Uh, Gossip really is like throwing gasoline on a fire. Which, by the way, is a good way to start a fire uh, if you don't mind having your eyebrows singed. So sometimes gossip comes back to bite you or singe yourself. Being quarrelsome itself is itself... An outward sign of inward pride. It's, uh, I'm using the term loosely, a sacrament. An outward sign of an inward reality. It's an outward sign of inward pride and foolishness. And quarrels often lead to disputes and strife. Proverbs 17:14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. There's a difference between argument. Some translations will actually say argument, but first of all, argument can be a logical argument, which has nothing to do with two people arguing. And then sometimes, I mean, everybody argues. There is a difference, however subtle and nuanced, that we need to make between an argument and a quarrel. Uh, quarrels are usually uh, stemming from the pride of the individual. Argument may be based on an honest disagreement. Flattery is manipulative. We should avoid both avoid and beware of it because, as Proverbs 26, 28 says, a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Boasting is self-flattery. It's self-glorifying, self-flattery, a sign of pride and ego, Um, It can be a sign of delusion, too. Uh, It could be a sign of insecurity, but it's almost always a sign of pride and ego. So despite what Hall of Fame pitcher Dizzy Deed once said, it is bragging even if you can do it. So I used to think Babe Ruth said that. It was Dizzy Deed. It ain't bragging if you can do it. He clearly did not understand the definition of bragging. Instead of boasting, you should let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. Proverbs 27, verse 2. As well as avoiding foolish speech and harmful words, there are essential keys for cultivating wise speech and healing words. There are things we need to not do, and there are things we need to do. Uh, first, uh, the wise use words sparingly, thoughtfully, and fittingly. Where words are not absent, where words are many, sin is not absent. 
Proverbs 17, 27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. Proverbs 15, 23, a man finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Um, We really should look for opportunities to say something maybe small, but something we know would encourage somebody at that time. Um, I'm not saying that's always easy, and I guess it's a gift, but I think that's what we need to do actively. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Proverbs 25, verse 11. Second, a wise man will always speak with honesty and truth. Um, there are things called white lies. Uh, you know, the, the, this is going to sound sexist, but of course the, the proverbial one is uh, your wife or your significant other asks you, do I look fat in that? And my wife have a joke. I mean, we do it to each other. We say, well, not in that. So, <laughs> uh, what do you say? Well, the key to that is don't ask the question. Um, uh, better to be silent uh, than speak white lies to supposedly spare someone's feelings. Um, seriously. Or as my mother used to say, if you can't find something nice, don't say anything. I'm pretty sure she wasn't the first person to say that, but... Uh, I think probably other mothers say it too. What? (laughs) He might have. She might have. Um, Anyway, as Proverbs 14.5 tells us, a truthful witness does not deceive. That's, That's almost a tautology there, but a good one. And as Proverbs 13.5 says, the righteous hate what is false. Um, to love truth is to hate falsehood. And actually, depending on the largeness of it, to sometimes find genuine pain in it, emotional pain. Uh, it really bothers me even when I'm not really involved, even if it's from a distance, but even when it's public, to see uh, what is false being promoted and sometimes seeming to win, at least in the short term. Finally, the wise man avoids foolish, harmful forms of speech. His words will promote harmony and healing. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, Proverbs 10.11. The lips of the righteous nourish many, Proverbs 10.21. The tongue of the wise brings healing, Proverbs 12.18. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Proverbs 15, verse 4. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 16, 24. So as I noted earlier, uh, the importance of speech and words is not confined to wisdom literature. Uh, it spread all over the Bible, and as I pointed out earlier, Jesus, James pointedly warned of the dangers of a loose tongue. In Matthew 12, 34, when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about the way our words reveal the condition of our hearts, he then revealed the true magnitude of the weight our words can bear down on us. Uh, he said this, 
Matthew 12, verses 36 through 37. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And it is both a gift and an awesome responsibility that God has given us such power uh, in our words and speech. Uh, That's all I have today. I think that was a little short. Um, So I have time for questions either on this lesson or any previous lesson if you want. Did anybody have any questions or comments? Joel? So um, when he says there are six things that the Lord hates and seven that he detests, does he do the six and seven because he mentions lying twice? Um, Yeah, well, if you count them, it's seven. But yeah, well, falsehood and lying. Yeah, it, it, again, this is, this is a conventional uh, wisdom device that's found in other ancient Near Eastern. I'm sure there's more than seven things that God finds disagreeable and even hateful. Um, so it's a way of conveying uh, truths in a memorable way. Uh, like, you know, you know there, there are five things I really like, you know. Key lime pie, chili. No, wait a second. There's six, and and then you go on. And um, I really do like key lime pie. I should make a key lime pie. I, I have no, I really do. I make the best key lime pie you have ever had. Okay. That sounds boastful. Yes, it is. Tell them. Do I make the? See, let, let another mount. Yes. Okay. Oh, well, you got the specialty one. That was the tequila lime pie. Okay. Seriously, made with genuine tequila. All right, never mind. Uh, how did I do that? Does anybody else have any questions? Yes, Miguel. Um, so there's a lot in here that... And Nick will edit that. Go ahead. <laughs> there's a lot in here that seems to be about... <clears throat> When, when I think of, of words, I think there's a lot of times Proverbs is very much full of I don't know, like declarative like statements. Yeah. There's a lot here about declarative statements. Um, Observations right. of what in fact does happen. Right. So this is a, uh, <laughs> a question about questions then because is there much to say about um, the convention of asking questions at all um, of someone who isn't, who is more um, not yet the wise man that saw? Oh, so what's the appropriateness of asking questions? Yes. There's nothing specifically, but I mean, one could say it's implied. You know, when you seek wisdom, listen to wisdom, you know, Lady Wisdom doesn't say, and if you occasionally have a question, go ahead and raise your hand. But, you know, if you don't ask questions, sometimes you can't learn. And it's kind of a cultural situation. Um, I'm, I honestly don't know how much Q&A there was in ancient Israelite wisdom teaching. But mainly you were supposed to listen. Um, conventionally now, of course, we think questions uh, are appropriate. And, and in this case, where, you know, we're all adults, uh, it is. Um, 
you know, seriously, I said, just because just it's on a PowerPoint doesn't mean it's true. And uh, I do make mistakes, and I'm not always clear. Um, but sometimes there's, there's – I used to tell my students who were – so there, there are two kinds of, of whys, talking specifically about the why question. There's a toddler's why, um, and there were more, actually. And the toddler doesn't ask why because he <coughs> wants to know. He asks why because he wants to avoid what you want them to do. And, of course, the ultimate you know, comeback to that is because I said so and I'm the daddy or I said so on the mommy. But when you become thoughtful and rational sometime in your teen years, there are, there's genuine inquisitiveness and a rational desire to know. And to not answer those questions is not wisdom. So again, I, you could say that Proverbs implies the import it implies. I'm not saying it says, I think the importance of thoughtful inquisitiveness. Um, so does that, does that help? Yeah. yeah. So yes, John. Um, this is a specific to one of the quotes you gave us, 26, Proverbs 26, uh, verse 25. You, uh, I didn't. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their heart. Is there right, 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 right. Is that just a saying? Um, like the, the idea of seven abominations filling their heart probably is a standardized saying. Um, and and I, did, I, I deliberately skipped that simply because they are related, but it doesn't seem to be related to us. Um, uh, Obama... As, uh, it, because elsewhere Proverbs says that uh, your heart reveals what you truly are, if someone, you know, is speaking foolishly, they are speaking that way because they have abominations in their heart. And the thing is, is sometimes abominations can seem very charming. Um, so you're right, I, I left that out for for editorial purposes. Numbers, multiple, is that kind of Seven is kind of, it's in biblical numerology, and there is such a thing, it's the number of completeness or perfection. So they're perfectly abominable. <laughs> so. Which verse was that? Uh, I forget, John. Proverbs 26, verse 25. 26, 25. Yes, Colleen. As far as speaking truth, it seems there's a, part where it is sometimes it's hard to navigate truth should only be spoken if your heart is in the right place is it something that you surrender say there's somebody that you know is they're they're off on a maybe a biblical um, some biblical truth or something Sometimes it's hard. I have to check myself. It's like, should I just keep my mouth shut? Should I surrender this and pray? Should I discuss it with somebody, which they talk about, oh, that's like a way of slander. That, that's a really good question. I'll answer it in two ways. One is, and I haven't emphasized it, and I actually noticed this while I was going through these lessons, is that sometimes a wise man does need to offer a rebuke. Um, and it says so pretty explicitly. So 
uh, a rebuke doesn't necessarily have to be harsh, and it depends on the situation. Um, but sometimes you have to say what's true as long as you're speaking it in love, as the New Testament says. As far as doctrinal, it, it might surprise you to learn that I have certain very firm, definitive convictions about certain doctrines that don't always agree with what some preachers say. Nick, Nick actually, I'm not flattering Nick. Well, I am, but it's true anyway. Uh, it's like I almost agree with him entirely. Now, you never agree with anybody entirely. And so I've never had that difficulty. But I have had difficulty, and the issue to me is, um, is it, how important is the issue? So, for example, a Baptist pastor a long time ago, I got into a discussion which turned into an argument about the use of the word expiation in the Revised Standard Version, which is a mistake, by the way. It should be propitiation. That's the correct word because it means something. Um, I think I should have just skipped that. Um, just it wasn't fruitful. You know, it, 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 do, it does make a difference in your, in your understanding of the atonement. Um, and I think that's very important. Uh, another thing maybe is like, okay, should women be, be rectors? Okay, well, that's an issue now in the, even in the ACNA. And the answer right now is no, but some people disagree. The answer, official answer. Um, it was an issue when I was a Baptist. Should women be pastors? And it was like, you know... If it, I can always vote with my feet. It was not an argument I was going to get into because I felt like it was a matter of polity and not necessarily essential doctrine. So it depends. If someone's denying the Trinity, oh, I'm going to raise my hand. Okay. Um, there's an issue. We were talking about this last week. Uh, men, some men want to make complementarianism, the idea that men and women are different, shock, I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, and they have different, you know, God-given roles. They want to make it, though, dependent on uh, the, the eternal functional subordination of the son to the father. Well, that's heresy. <laughs> it's just, and it's just unnecessary. Um, men and women are complementary because God made them so in the order of creation. So if someone started teaching that, I might raise my hand. It's, it's anti-Nicene. Uh, it's, it's akin to Arianism. So, so you know, I would be very nice when I said it, though. I wouldn't say we need to burn you with the stake. <laughs> what about yeah. on a more personal? You see somebody just, you're going, oh, my gosh. Well, they're it depends. Making, I want making the fool out of themselves. It, it, again, it depends. It depends. I once had a friend, again, when I was a Baptist, who wanted, who, who, who was hanging out with Mormons. You know, this is an, a, a new convert, and he would, do you remember, do you remember that back? And I won't say the name, but you remember him? Anyway, um, and this was 20 years ago, um, and I, he said, you know, the, the Mormons preach Christ, and I said, no, no, they do not. It's a different religion altogether. And I'm not sure what finally was the upshot of that, but I think he finally uh, backed away from that. So I didn't get into an argument with him, but I told him he was mistaken. And it depends. I mean, it, it is, wisdom is contextual. So, so, 
Any other questions? It is, it's 11.46, so if you feel like you need to get up and leave, then that, this, this is the appropriate time. <coughs> any, any other questions or comments? Um, that was a good question to end on. Rebuke is something I sort of passed over um, it, because we don't seem to have any problem with doing that. The problem is controlling when and and how we do it. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about everybody's second favorite subject, money. Um, that's because everybody's favorite subject is something else. And that'll be the finish of our topical studies. Um, the schedule is for three weeks off, um, beginning of spring break, Palm Sunday, and then Easter Sunday, and then we'll come back and study the book of Job after that. Well, thanks for coming, y'all.